Rooted in biblical and historic Christian faith, Northeastern Seminary prepares Christ-centered men and women for faithful, effective ministry to the church and the world. The following recording is from a workshop presented during Northeastern Seminary's Rebuild Conference in June of 2023. The Rebuild Conference was a two-day event that featured over 40 different presenters speaking on rebuilding the church as a responsive, justice-minded, and loving community in the divisive world of today. This workshop is called Gen Z and the Great Commission. To find out more about Northeastern Seminary's future events and conferences, or if you're interested in attending seminary after hearing a podcast like this, head over to nes.edu. I'd like to uh, have our distinguished panel introduce themselves. So we'll start with Shantara and then with Jay. So go ahead. Good morning, everyone. It's early. (laughs) Um, My name is Shantara Mitchum, affectionately known as Shan in the Rochester community. Um, I am a wife and mother of three beautiful creations that would literally, I'd be running out of the door right now to get them to school. Um, I am also an associate pastor at Rock Hope uh, Fellowship um, over the youth department there. I am the director for Rochester programs for the Center for Teen Empowerment. And I love God and I love young people. Hello, everybody. My name is Isaiah Santiago. I am 19 years old. So when we're talking about Generation Z, here I am. Hello. How are you guys doing? <laughs> um, I am a rising sophomore at St. John Fisher University, um, which is the most stressful part of my life. Um, I am also the creator of the We Got This organization, the Combat Youth Gun Violence through Youth to Youth Mentorship. I kicked off that organization at 16 years old, um, and currently that organization runs through the Rochester Rec Centers. I'm also the author of the Mental Health Literacy Curriculum, which is a mental health curriculum that will soon be in all of the Rochester City School District's high schools. Um, I'm also, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm just shooting my resume out to you guys, so when I'm talking, you guys can listen to me. Um, I'm also part of the Board of Directors of Families Together New York State, uh, where we try to empower youth and family voice. We just passed a $4 million budget. Um, I'm also the youngest candidate running for Rochester City School Board uh, in the history of Rochester. In the history of Rochester. I I think that's time for new voices, but we'll talk about that when they ask more questions. Um, I am actually getting uh, prepared to, to go to New York City in two days to speak at the Governor's Mental Health Summit. Um, I will be the only young person there speaking for the Youth Mental Health Summit. Um, So I've been fighting, I've been working, and that's just a little bit about me. So when I speak, you know, know that I have a little bit of expertise in this stuff. I'm 19. I'm 19. That's tough to follow. My name is Robin Engler, and I'm a mental health therapist in the Rochester area. I've been working in this field for the last 17 years in a few different um, locations, but currently in private practice. Um, My husband is also on staff at a local church, so I get the ministry aspect also, some of those inside conversations. So I'm excited to be here with the panel. My name is Jay Newman. Oh, there it is. Um, I work at Roberts Wesleyan as the Director of International Engagement, so I help with study abroad and immigration for our students who want to come and study at Roberts. Um, I have three kids. Uh, I attend Artisan Church, and I help with youth ministries there. Over the last 10 years, I've worked uh, uh, at a seminary, I've worked at a college, I've worked at a high school and a middle school, and so I feel like I have a picture of this kind of progression of this generation that we're talking about today. And 
I do find it funny uh, with Isaiah. I'm, I think I'm here to balance out Isaiah because I'm old and he's not. So. <laughs> Can we give our panelists just a round of applause here? I'm so impressed. So first question here. What strengths does Generation Z have? Okay, they, they all looked at me. Like, That's uh, right, we on. did. We all did. <laughs> hold on. Um, one strength that Generation Z has is they have an advocating spirit. Uh, we've seen Generation Z stand up and take on the responsibility to fight for the world that they want to see at a young age, whether that's social media, whether that's through the, emerge the, the emerging leaders um, in our communities. We've been seeing young people really stand against injustice and inequality and, 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 and justice altogether. Um, and I think that that's really one thing that I see with, with my generation, is that we're ready to, to make a change. Um, and the change that we want to see in, in the world that we'll live in, and when we have children, the children, children, hold on, I'm sorry. Um, when we have children, you know, the, the children uh, that we have will live in. Um, and that's one thing that I've really experienced with young people, is that they're ready to, to, to fight for change, and they're ready to be heard. Um, and they're ready to listen at the same time. Um, but there's a process to, to that. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with what Isaiah said. Um, I feel like this generation, the Generation Z, um, they challenge us. They ask the questions that are oftentimes ignored when it comes to church, um, when it comes to ministry. They're asking, does God care about racism? Does God care about oppression? Does God care about what is happening in our communities? Um, and they're challenging us to step outside of our churches and outside of our pews and to go into the community um, and to do something about it. And so I feel like this generation reminds us that they could because they have access to all of the information um, as a millennial I was growing up when like cell phones were like you know becoming a thing I remember my first phone right but they were born into information access to information and so they have they see everything they experience everything and they're living everything and they have questions and so what they do for us I feel like which is a strength is that they come and they ask us well what about this what is what does this mean um, how does this impact us? How does this impact the church? What is the role of the believer and what is happening in this world? And I believe that that um, is a strength because it challenges me to dig deeper into what my faith means in context. That's good. I would add to that. I think that this generation does have a passion and also an authenticity. They don't want to be put into boxes. Um, and that's kind of, you know, just echoing what's said, you know, thinking outside of the box, challenging why some of the things are norms um, and not just going along with the flow. Yeah, and I would, I would just echo that as well. I think the, the authentic spirit is what I see in my interactions with students that, that I am talking with. Um, part of my role in the last couple of years is working as a spiritual life director on campus. And the, the questions that the students would have were questions that you might say that like people 20 years ahead of them should be asking. Their timeline is sped up. And they are asking the questions that you might expect someone uh, with gray or white hair to be asking, right? And that's where they are. That's the questions and that's where their heart and their mind is. That's very good. So I want to push on this a little bit. So how are these strengths either misunderstood or perceived from your perspective? I guess we'll go backwards. Okay, go for it. Yeah. Um, I would just say sometimes that kind of passion or that authenticity comes across as being a little bit of a know-it-all or thinking that they have something to offer um, that previous generations haven't. And I, I just don't see it that way. I see it really as 
um, their heart and their vision to see a thing enacted within their own lifetime. And I think that's really beautiful. But I think it can sometimes be misinterpreted based on how badly they want to see a thing happen. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it. Um, kind of along those lines, I think sometimes it can be interpreted as arrogance. Uh, like we're just gonna like not listen to you and kind of go forward. Um, but I think that is misunderstood both ways. Um, and so I think that's one struggle that the Gen Z has in relating to different generations is uh, just the appearance of arrogance. They took my answers. Um, um, so I, I fully agree with, with what they both said. And I think that in the process of displaying the message that young people uh, uh, do, um, I think that, that it, it creates a generational divide. Um, and a lot of times when we look at what's going on in our current situation, um, is, is a, a far generational divide where young people have half the answers, the older generations have the other half, um, but we can't communicate because there's such of a divide between our, our generations. Um, and, and the truth is that the young people need your voice. We need your wisdom. We need your ideas. But at the same time, we have the answers on the contemporary society, the contemporary issues, the contemporary ways to make worship and church more inviting towards the younger generation. Um, so we have to be able to, to create a bridge of trust in between these two generations in order to move forward, in order to progress. I mean, there's a process in doing that. It takes consistency, right? How do you create and build trust with a young person? There's going to be some people who have a, a wall that you can't communicate to them. Some young people, you can't com communicate to them. They don't want to really talk to you. Um, but you have to understand that this is just a temporary wall of distrust. Um, and the way to get past this wall of distrust is you can't break it down. You can't make them break their wall down. But consistency will allow them to feel comfortable enough with you to open the door. Um, and that's one thing that I've noticed since I've been speaking all around the state, is that young people have a wall of distrust, and we have a generational divide. And in order for us to move forward as a church, as a society, and as a community, we have to build a, a, a bridge of trust in between these two generations so we can move forward. Because you guys have the wisdom that we need, and young people have the ideas and the thoughts that's needed in order for us to move forward. What Isaiah said... I love it. Thank you so much. So what would you all say are the challenges present with Generation Z? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll start. I think one of the challenges with um, Generation Z is, and I think it's not like a Generation Z issue. Um, I, I believe that it's a, it's a church issue. It's an us issue on how to approach or respond um, to Generation Z. I think one of the challenges is that we feel like in order to um, draw them in and to get them um, engaged um, and get them to believe that we have to offer them gimmicks, um, that we have to in some way, shape, or form reflect the world. Um, but we can't do that. They are growing up in a time of options and choices where literally everything is an option who they are constantly getting bombarded with who they are what they're supposed to look like what they're supposed to dress like um, what kind of music they should listen to and so what we do is we try to transform ourselves to look like the world when we should be offering them transformation that I don't want to yeah I don't want to offer you another option I don't want to give you another option but if you want transformation come walk with me I will show you what the love of Christ is and offer that back so that's my my perspective on it. I forgot my notebook. I should have been taking notes right there. That was, that was a really good answer, Shan. Um, I, I think that one of the challenges is really some young people feel like they're not heard. 
Um, and this, this is really problematic when it comes to, to us trying to analyze and understand the current world. Uh, right now, young people are at the highlight and at the top of our contemporary issues and our contemporary positivity. Um, and when we look at that, a lot of times we have adults trying to understand this, trying to understand why are young people thinking this way, why are young people doing what they're doing. But a simple way to do this is simply talk to a young person. Um, and I think that it's, in my mind, it's common sense, but as I've been traveling around the state, it's obviously not. Um, but I think that it's important to make sure young people are heard. And I think that there's a, a question coming up that's, that's on this, so I'm going to stop here. Um, but it's important to ensure that young people are heard, and a lot of young people don't feel heard. Um, and also, emotional intelligence. That has been a problem with my generation. Um, and the truth is, is, all the emotions that they're feeling is normal. These are normal emotions, but the way that they're responding to these emotions and the way that they're dealing with these emotions aren't. And that's what we're seeing in our community with gun violence, with the Kia boys, with all those people, is simply hurt young people who don't know how to deal with their hurt, but to temporarily satisfy it by hurting others or getting into what they're getting into. I mean, we have to understand that as adults, we have to be there with the wisdom that we have in our emotional sense to ensure them that it's okay what you're feeling, but we have to really search within yourself on how we're gonna respond to these feelings that you deal with. And a lot of times what I tell young people is, when I'm mad, I listen to Christmas music. It's the truth, I listen to Christmas music. <laughs> it could be June, it could be the summer, I'm listening to Christmas music and in my mind it's winter outside. Like that's what I'm seeing. So we have to be able to help our young people and foster our young people into understanding themselves, but we can't push them into it. We have to use our wisdom and our, our thoughts and our, our, our ideas uh, to really uh, uh, support them in doing it, but we can't push them in doing it. And those are two of the problems I'll focus on. Well, and, and to kind of piggyback on being uh, heard, we also need to see our, uh, the Gen Z generation. And right now in our country, we have a mental health uh, epidemic. You know, the, the numbers for depression and anxiety in all generations, but especially in youth, are skyrocketing. Um, there's a, a wonderful resource, it's a small book, by Dr. Chinwe Williams and um, Will Hutchinson called Seen, um, and it talks about depression in youth and in the church. And I think the unique dynamic is know your lane. If you are a church, if you're a pastor, you don't have to be the mental health therapist, um, but still see those that are struggling. Don't just outsource it, you know, how can we journey alongside, you know, those who are struggling? Uh, because it is, it is just growing. I mean, even the, the U.S. General just put out on May 1st um, an 84-page paper um, document on loneliness in our country. Um, and it was already on the rise before the pandemic, and then it just skyrocketed. Um, but the two generations that are the most vulnerable are adolescents and then the elderly. And so keep in mind, like, those two kind of opposite um, ends of the spectrum you know, they need to be heard and they need to be seen. We can't make them invisible. We can't forget about them or outsource it. We have to be present and journey with them. I think one of the things that I see out of this generation that comes across as a challenge is how inclusive they are. And because, because they are so inclusive, you see, uh, I think, movements to want to see that for their entire generation, not just for themselves. So it's, it's a generation that doesn't think in an individual mindset just for themselves. They think in a bigger, broader societal way. And I think that offers challenges to other generations where 
yes, that was what we were maybe instructed on. But there was also this undercurrent of make sure you do well for yourself, make sure you do well for your family, that this generation, they are not prioritizing it in that same fashion. So just building on some of what's been said here, and maybe asked a little differently, what are the greatest needs of Generation Z, would you say? So um, I think it's just, I think it's a little bit of what each of us have said. Um, and one thing is that diversity is not an option. Um, and so I think I come from a black church. Um, I grew up in a black church. Um, some of you are probably from predominantly white churches. Um, and like they're not trying to operate in these homogenous groups. They want to see multicultural. They want to see uh, multi-ethnic groups. Um, they want to access those things. I think we're also growing, they're growing up and living, and I'm only a few years outside of Generation Z, so I feel like very still, very connected still. Um, but um, I think they're also growing up where um, identity is a huge issue. When I was in high school, um, when we looked at our different groups, it was like you got the jocks over here, you got the band geeks over here, you got the choir geeks, you know, you have all of these like five groups that you have to be a part of. That is very different now where their identity is like, who am I? Who am I? And I think they need us, I go back to that authenticity statement, they need us to be authentically who we are so that we can show them that it, you don't have to fit in for one into any one group, right? Not one who, there are intersectionalities of our identities. I am not, I am a black woman. I am a Christian. There are so many things that intersect and operate on the inside of me um, that I am so proud of. And I think one of their needs is to show them that you don't have to fit into a box. You don't have to check off a box. You can have all these intersectionalities within yourself um, and God still loves you and he still wants to use you and he still wants you to follow him. Um, and so I think that's one of the issues. I think talking about identity has to be one of the strongest points, you know, from this whole conversation at the moment. Um, because social media makes it really hard for young people to find who they are. Um, and, and social media has positive uh, aspects and it also has negative aspects. Um, young people start to hate who they are because they don't look like the people that they see on social media. Their life is not like Megan The Stallion or their life is not like some other big person that they follow. Um, and, and, and that's part of the problem when we look at, at our generation is finding themselves. And when you find yourself, how do you stay strong in who you are? How do you stay strong and be happy in who you are as a young person? Um, and I've been speaking around this and, and to, to other young people. Um, I've been speaking at youth leadership forums about finding ourselves and being happy in who we are. Also, a seat at the table. That's what young people need, a seat at the table. Um, and, and when we look at, again, we have conversations about Generation Z, and then there's no Generation Z members at the table. It makes sense. It makes sense to me to have young people there. Because a lot of times what we see is old policies, old methodology, old, old, old different systems dealing with new issues and new generations. And we cannot, and we cannot better cater to the new generation if we continue with these old systems and these old methodology. So let's put young people at the table as we try to advertise to more young people, and they'll let you know, like, uh, nah, that's not about to work. Uh, that doesn't look good. So, so let's put more young people a seat at the table and not only listen, but have action behind what we're listening to. Because even, and, and I'll tell you even personally, in, in this, this walk of youth leadership, and speaking around the state, 
I've been saying the same thing for three years. Same thing for three years. I've been seeing some change here and there, but there hasn't been much action behind what I've been saying. And everybody's in the room, nodding their head, clapping their hands, but there's no action behind that. And this is discouraging to the young people who do stand in leadership. And when you do have a young person who's ready and passionate and ready to use their voice, you have to foster them. You have to hold on to them and ensure that, one, they stay strong in who they are because it's easy to, to move with popularity than to move on your own. And, and I'll, I'll say this. I'm going to be quiet. I'm sorry. I'm taking a long oh, time. It's all good. Please. In high school, in high school, um, in, in around ninth, tenth grade, I was very quiet to myself, you know, and, and, and I didn't want to do what everybody was doing. So I'm in high school and they're like, come on, let's, let's go smoke weed. I'm like, ah, oh, no, I'm good. Come on, let's go do this. So oh, now I'm good. And, and people uh, slowly started becoming less my friends. Like nobody was talking to me. I was by myself. I was walking through the hallways by myself. And honestly, while I was walking, I always sing, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Because Jesus knows all about, all about my troubles, and he guides till the day is done. And that's why there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And that's the song I was singing as I walked through the hallways. He can sing and, too. And I although, it. thank you. And, and although I had no friends, and I was by myself, I knew that I had Jesus by my side. And I knew that there was somebody walking with me when I was walking down the hallways by myself because I had Jesus who was a friend no matter what. And, and we have to understand that even when you have a young person who's ready to use their voice, we have to hold on to them. And we have to ensure that they're strong and they're, they're strong in who they are. Because although I went through that for about two years, I started getting on the news. I started doing what I was doing. I started speaking all around the state. And all those young people who didn't talk to me and, and, and was acting like I wasn't the good person all started coming back. I'm like, nah, I'm good. Y'all didn't like me then. Y'all didn't like me then. Don't start liking me now. Um, and, and, and so we have to really hold on to our young people who are going to use their voice and put action behind what they're doing. So you you know, kind of having a voice, and I would say one of the biggest needs is giving space for, you know, those as they're figuring out what their voice is, uh, because we were talking about identity, and there's a lot of exploration going on, and sometimes what I see kind of in my experience is there's different generations that fear that exploration, and so that actually ostracizes those who might need that support at that time. So can we create some safe space for people? That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. This does doesn't mean you have to, you know, kind of just give them permission, but it's, can we be a safe space for them, especially within the church? Because I kind of think that's what Jesus did. You know, he, he didn't say, you have to get this all right and then come to me. And I think this generation needs to experience that um, and that authenticity from other generations who are able to kind of join them in the trenches as they're trying to figure out, you know, who their friends are, what, what that looks like. Um, and I'll also just kind of say this. Um, that's going to be uncomfortable for us in different generations. And so I would just encourage you at that point, 
take a look, what's going on in you that makes you fear what you're hearing in this next generation or kind of what they're going through? Because that we need to explore also. Otherwise, it's going to keep coming up in different settings and in different, um, you know, just kind of different environments. So if you are with somebody or you go to a breakout that, you know, kind of scares you, pay attention to what's getting activated within you and address that. Um, so that way you can create that space for the next generation. Yeah, I think the, the central challenge is that this generation needs intergenerational relationships. Uh, they need it in a big way where they don't have to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders because I think that's how it might feel. I think to a certain degree, what we really need to do is try to find a way to be real and transparent with them so that they can see us. One of my favorite writers, Parker Palmer, talks about in his uh, book, let, let, your love, let Your Life Speak, that the goal should be to try to be real with people. And I think that's what young people are looking for. They're also looking for a, a way to participate. They don't want to just kind of be brought in to make the church look more trendy or contemporary. They want to be co-creators. They want to be participants in the glory of God's vision for this world. And unless we are willing to allow them to have space to glean, unless we are willing to give them the space to be on stage or the microphone, then I think at best we're just putting another coat of paint on as another generation to say that hopefully it'll get better. It will, but we have to let them be co-creators. I love that. So we've. We've touched on it just a little bit, but let's go a little bit deeper then. So what, in what way should the church respond to the, the older generations and the church respond to the younger generations? I think I, think I, I touched on this answer yeah. you know, a couple of times. And, and again, it's, it's putting action behind the voice and, and really holding young people for who they are um, and, and not talking to them as they're lesser than, but talking to them like they're human beings um, that, that are just a little bit younger than you are. Um, I think that's, that's important. I was just, I think um, approaching with humility and what can I learn, what can I, like don't come in with assumptions, um, but I think that's what they need from older generations, as well as once you have that relationship, sharing your experiences too, because as we're talking about, it's intergenerational and there's a wealth of knowledge that we have that we want to pass down too, um, but it starts with humility, because if you just come in with what you know, I mean, there's the, the famous saying, I forget who said it, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, and so I think that that is what this generation actually really lives and, and needs first. I just think it's important not to try to be a wisdom dispenser where you can give it on demand, but wait for the appropriate times for those moments. You gotta be relational, right? That's the big thing for, I think, um, the generation that I see today is they want, they want to have a relationship. They wanna know who you are. Uh, the best way to do that for me is like having a meal having some sort of small group interaction where you're talking, you're, you allow there to be time and space where you're not going anywhere else, you know, you're not gonna go back to, quote unquote, your own, your own generation, but you have this time where no one is trying to do anything other than just be together and learn. That pops out of normal time for us, right? With all of our busy schedules and the things that we do. But I think that that kind of moment where there is no time. There's just 
people of God, talking with people of God, trying to learn how to do it better, that where, that's where the real learning can occur. Um, I think too, like utilizing our resources, um, like your presence is a resource for a lot of young people. Um, in my professional field, I work with a very specific demographic of young people. I work with young people like Isaiah, um, and I also work with young people who are coming out of um, lockup, who were standing on corners before um, before they came into teen empowerment doors. Um, and so that leadership looks different when it's in a different environment. And one of the things that um, just a really concrete example of something that I did um, as a director of my organization, we needed a home on the east side of Rochester. Hey, I have a church. I go to a church on the east side of Rochester. Let me see if I can get this secular organization inside of my church's doors. And I sat down and had a conversation um, with the lead pastors of the church. Um, and so now, right, while Bible study is coming in, there's this crazy group of young people that are there. And so there are these new interactions that are happening. And I think young people want to be in these different spaces and feel accepted. Um, I remember I was sitting next to, and I talk about, like, I, I love talking about I'm a believer and I'm unashamed um, to be a believer. And one of the uh, young ladies came and she was like, hey, you know, I'm a bisexual and I'm an atheist. And I was like, okay, well, I'm a heterosexual and I love the Lord and I love you too, right? And I think sometimes they just want to know what your response is going to be, right? How are you going to respond to something? And it's, it's a challenging thing, right? She wanted to challenge me. I said that I was a Christian. She wanted to know how, what, what would a Christian respond like um, in this moment? And so they need to see us and they need to feel accepted and they need to feel loved. And now she's like my best friend, right? We always together. And I'm showing her the love of Christ, not through preaching at her, not through teaching at her, but just being a representation of his image and his light um, in the world. And I think that is something that we have to tap into. Yeah, yeah, please give it up for that. That was nice. Yeah. Um, so I think, so we, I've been talking about listening to young people at the table. We also have to listen to young people as, as church leaders and as leaders, period. Uh, young people go through stuff and a lot of times they hold it in. Um, and as they hold it in, it becomes toxic. They begin hating themselves. They begin blaming themselves for all the issues that they're dealing with. They begin to really go through an internal conflict. And all it takes is them being able to speak and talk and get it out. Um, and I think that's important that, if a, that, that you are an open space, an open haven to talk to these young people. And when they're emotional and they're going through it and they're angry or they're sad, don't start shooting wisdom at them then. Don't, just give them a second. And once the emotions go down, then, hey, this is what I went through, and this is how I can encourage you. You know, and, and whether that's a little bit after the conversation or that's a, whole, that's a, a day out, it's saying, hey, I remember you said this yesterday. Here's my wisdom. And, it, and whether they want to take it or not, that's on them. But you put it out there. I mean, I think that's important not only to listen to them at the table, but to listen to them on an emotional sense. I'm just going to share a quick story. So about um, 10 years ago or so, I was, I was teaching at MCC. Uh, I was teaching an English class, and I had the student who would regularly come into class um, 15 minutes, 20 minutes early. He was there. And I, I'm a meticulous planner. I like to have everything already, already set up. And uh, anyways, he would come in, and I would always hear him because he was wearing the same wind pants. You know those nylon wind pants? So I'd hear, I'd hear I'd be writing on the board because it was that long ago. 
right, when we still did that. And uh, I would hear that swish, 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 swish. And I knew that Hector was coming in. And he would always sit there in the same spot. I would always say hello to him, and he would just kind of give me that, a little bit of a nod. Um, he didn't turn in any work for the first four weeks of the class. And we were getting to the point where I, he was attending every class, so I, you know, he was on my roster. There was nothing I was going to do. I just talked to him every single day, and uh, I would say, "Hey, man, you really need to turn some work in." And uh, he would just kind of look at me. Well, I don't know if you remember Blue Books. Blue Books are where you wrote your little essays in, right? I know. I, I'm balancing out Isaiah a little bit. <laughs> I gave assignments in a blue book, and. Uh, I asked them to write a, a narrative, a story, where something impactful happened to them. And I'm telling you that for the 12 years that I was an English professor, I didn't read anything better. No, it was a punctuational mess. And there was no paragraphing. But he went on to tell this story about how when he was out one night with his friend, they were at a gas station getting like burritos and big gulps or whatever, and his friend was shot and killed right in front of him. And what happened was he had to go and tell his, his friend's mother. Now you can imagine kind of what he looked like as he showed up on that step. And this is his narrative. This is that generation and what they feel and what they carry in their hearts. He just ends the, the narrative by saying, and I opened the door and when she saw me, she slapped me in the face. To me, just as another human, I just feel like that is the best evocation of what they don't want from us, right? What they cannot see from us in our experiences. If the first thing that we do is react in a way that isn't with love, it might be the last time. Thank you for sharing that. So what would you recommend then? Well, we have a diverse you know, audience here. What's one action step that we can take in order to be more welcoming and hospitable of the emerging generations in the church? One action step. He said one. I, I'm trying to All right, you can do three or four if you need I, to. <laughs> so one thing that I would say, so I, I'm up here thinking on two levels. So one is, is a leadership uh, a voice at the table, see at the table level, then also a social emotional level. Um, and when it comes to leadership and when we're, we're looking to better cater to the, the younger generation, your first step is to put a young person at the table. Call one of your young people inside of your, your church, bring them into the office and tell them, what do you think about services? What would you change if you were the pastor? And let's make a plan together. Or let me propose you a plan. You let me know if that sounds good and that we could do this together. Um, and, and that's one thing as far as the seat at the table. And then from there on out, you invite more young people to speak. And if you're a pastor, actually have an event with young people. Have an event with young people and just sit them down. You sit down with them and let them let it out. And they will. Trust me, they will. So that, that's one step. And when it comes to social emotional, just be consistent. You, you heard uh, he said that, that his student... We'll come in every day and he'll talk to him every day, say hello every day. And that consistency gave him trust that he felt that he, felt he could write an essay about something that was so dear to him. 
It's consistency that builds that trust. So when you see young people, when you're walking by the pew that they're sitting on, hey, how you doing this morning? They'll talk to you. And next thing you'll know, about a month or two out, you'll have a young person come into your office to tell you about what's going on. So those will be the two action steps. And if I could just jump in, I heard when Isaiah was speaking, he kept saying he was the only, the only, the only. And the only is not good enough. Um, we can't have one young person sitting at the table um, because we know that young people come from different backgrounds with different um, um, experiences. And so we need to have a diverse group of young people also represented. And so as we see Isaiah is sitting here with us today and he is a wealth of knowledge, imagine if there were three more young people, if there were four more young people, and sometimes that requires us to be able to step aside um, and allow, I don't know if y'all read your Bibles, because I read my Bible and they use young people in the Bible, right? Um, you know, Gideon was in a wine press and he was the youngest in his family um, and God used him, right, to tear down the altars that the parents had built. And so we have to learn how to be able to step aside and I'll share um, this one concrete um, example again because I like to give examples and I got permission um, from my son to share this uh, with you all today. Um, is that oftentimes our first thing is to listen. And I believe that that is an amazing first step um, is to listen. However, it becomes a cop-out for a lot of people. Um, I sit in rooms where people say, hey, I'll listen to you, but I won't do anything for you. Um, and I remember my son coming to me one Saturday morning. We were actually at the church. Um, and he came to me and he said, mommy, I've been having these like suicidal thoughts. Um, and so my immediate response was not to pray over him. Um, my immediate response was not to even weep. I did not weep, although on the inside I was crying. I said, well, come on, let's sit down. We need to talk. Where are they coming from? What's going on? What's, what's happening? And I realized that as much as I wrap him in love and I feel like he has a beautiful chocolate face with golden locks that rest upon his face, as much as I do that, as much as I have him in the church, that the world outside of the church can be really, really ugly. Um, and so he talked about being bullied and talked about um, at school. And my response to him was not just to listen, but to say, okay, Let's look at how, what the triggers of these suicidal thoughts was and let's develop a plan for when you feel these urges, for when you feel these things happening, who are the people that you can reach out to? Who are the people at your school that you can talk to? And we developed a plan together. I didn't create a plan for him. I didn't come in and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. I had him, so he bought into the plan, right? And then in that moment, he, because he came to me because he felt like there was something that I can do. And so if a young person is coming to you, then that's because that young person believes that there is something in you that you have to offer them. And so as we listen to young people, as we invite young people to the table, take action steps, do something about it. And if you don't know what to do, reach out to somebody who can. Do something about it. We must, like he said, co-create, collaborate together. Long gone are the days where we can just do stuff for, and that's not helpful. I want my son to teach, I want to teach him that he has agency and autonomy over himself, and that there is a God that is looking out for him and the way that he, he is looking out for him is because he's offering him something tangible that he can use in moments of distress and disparity. And so do that. Allow God to use you to create and work with this generation. That's one step that you can do.
So I would just echo that, you know, curiously listen um, and listen first and then have compassion as you're coming up with those action steps and including, you know, kind of the generation. Um, but also, as I said before, um, I would just kind of purposely wanted to say it again. Um, check yourself. Am I being compassionate, not just to Gen Z, but to any generation? Because, you know, we're watching how you treat everybody. Um, and that generation is very observant. Um, so, so, you know, even if you're very, you know, kind of intentional with Gen Z, but then you're bickering with your peers, you know, and you're treating them with disdain, like, they see that too. And that's actually going to hinder your trust. So have compassion for all, um, and if you're struggling with that, as I said before, check yourself, what's got activated within me that I need to work on? Because that is interfering with me being able to, to build and to have that trust and ongoing relationships. Because it isn't, it isn't a one-stop shop, it's, it's ongoing through, you know, kind of week after week. Um, and especially for a church, um, not just what is your reputation, but, you know, do people who come to your church of any generation experience that compassion? Do they experience, you know, that desire to be known, to be seen, and to be loved? That's really beautiful. I think you should clap. <laughs> I, I would just say the, the most important action step is to be relational and, when necessary, to apologize. You don't have to get it right all the time. In fact, the more you try early on, the more you might make mistakes, but that's okay. I don't think this generation is going to hold it against you forever as long as you are genuinely trying to understand what it feels like to be someone who is 15 or 16 right now in the world that we know is chaotic and stressful in ways that maybe we can't even imagine, right? And, you know, I was thinking of uh, the, the lectionary text yesterday where, um, you know, Jesus is being called to do, a, uh, to raise someone, a little girl, right? And uh, Jairus' daughter. And the woman in the crowd touches the hem of his cloak, right? For, for most of us, I think we get so laser focused on the one task that we have that we don't have time for the other person coming up to us in the crowd because we're focused on what we want to do. And I would just say, like, for all of us, and I include myself in this, something that I, I wake up and I, I just don't know if I do it well enough every day, but am I present when I need to be? And we never know. We never know when that's going to happen. And so I would just implore all of us to take a position of humility and to show them that leadership is horizontal, it's not vertical. To show them that we are willing, when necessary, to learn and grow and that they can be our teachers. That's what Isaiah is talking about. Let there be co-creation, let there be learning together so that ultimately uh, we start to see gains and, and the things that are important to everyone. That's good. Love the clapping. Love it. So we, so we got a couple minutes left. Maybe one final thought from each of you. Yes, I'll, I can go down. We don't have all the answers. Um, and there are still questions even in my faith walk that I deal with all the time. 
Um, and so I think allowing ourselves to be open um, to learning and to hearing um, and challenging ourselves to learn something new, to see something different. Um, and a lot of times, I don't know about anybody else, I said I have three children and I learn so much from them. Um, I learn so much from them and I work with young people all the time and I'm constantly learning um, that it is a very strange and different world that they are living in and so we have to open ourselves up to hear something different, to be challenged um, and to do something about it. Uh, my, my final thoughts would be to give young people a chance, to give young people a voice as we have the conversation. Young people know. They know, they understand, they have, like, like Shan said, they have the whole world in their phone. They have the knowledge. They understand the problems. They understand how to fix the problems. They understand the solutions. And give them a, a seat at the table. And allow trust to really take over in your church, in your community, and, and, and in, in the society altogether. Is allow trust to really create um, and, 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 and get rid of the generational divide. I mean, if we can do this, and if you do this at your church, and you, you break into trust, and you allow young people to have a seat at the table, and you bring more, more diverse young people into, your, into your, your, your table, into your seat, and into your church, you'll see change. If you're a church that has only older folks in it, let's get some more young people in there. But the best way to do that is by, by having a young person at the table to let you know, to let you know how to do it, to, to give you the ideas, to give you the thoughts to do that. And, and finally, I just want to say, do not give up on any young person. All of us do different things. Some of us are only pastors. Some of us do stuff in the community. Do not give up on any young person. The young person that you feel like giving up on, give them the most attention. Because the only reason why I'm sitting here today is because people didn't give up on me. I wasn't the best child. I wasn't the best student. But that's because I was hurt. And I didn't know how to give it off. I didn't know how to let other people know. I was going through a lot as, as in my childhood. But because people didn't give up on me, and I knew that there was people who were holding me up, I'm here where I am today. There wouldn't be an Isaiah Santiago without my first grade teacher, without my sixth grade teacher, without my pastor, without my counselor, without Shan, without the community. So if we can really set a community behind our young people and not give up on them, we can create more Isaiah Santiago's. We can create the next president. We can create our next governor. And, and we do that by not giving up and really showing love and trust to our young people. So my final thoughts would be, you know, we've talked a lot about emotional intelligence. I brought up, you know, kind of the mental health crisis. And I would say emotions are not something, and kind of emotional intelligence isn't just a given for everybody. Um, and so take time to learn about that if you don't know. Because um, I often will work with people of all ages, you know, adolescents on up. I don't work with kids. Um, but adolescents on up, teaching them about emotions and, and how to understand, to name them, to understand them. And if you're coming alongside other people, it really helps if you have your own vocabulary. There's great church resources. Um, you know, there's the Emotionally Healthy uh, Spirituality, like a whole series by Pete Scazzaro, um, and that is awesome. There's also Celebrate Recovery, which is a great program, but don't just set things aside and silo them. Have Celebrate Recovery be something that you participate in to understand it, to get to know the individuals that are, are going through that. But I would say, you know, just, just grow your own emotional um, knowledge and awareness so that you can be with those who are struggling. 
I, I would just say humbly, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to um, take on a relationship with a student who, for maybe the first time in their life, feels like someone's investing in them, sees them, loves them, and there are no conditions on that. Because I feel like uh, now, more than ever, like we see kids who, they, they are not. Th they are not starting from the place where they think that I'm loved. It's like an inverse reaction. They're starting from a, a place of fear and judgment. And the more we can flip, so they start and see it the other way, then uh, I, th I think that can be great. I know that comes with some inherent risks, and there's challenges in doing that in the places where you work and the offices and the positions that you hold. But I would just encourage you to also the people in your circle, encourage them to be brave too. Encourage them to be bold because just like Fred Rogers, you know, didn't, didn't do it from a pulpit, he did it from his job on television. The people who are really going to make the difference for this next generation are the people who might not be here today. So who can you tap? Who can you say, we really need to invest in this generation? Because I would dare to wager that there's people who are not in this room who are going to be the main game changers. Can we get, yes, please. I just want to say this too. The church is not this edifice. We are the church. You are the church. And so wherever you step your foot, wherever you walk, wherever you go, you are the church. It's ministry. And so if you so happen to cross paths with a young person, remember, remind yourself that this is a ministry moment. How I act and how I respond in this moment is representative of the church because that's who we are. Amen. Can we give our panelists a round of applause?